Hi everyone, welcome and thanks for joining me for this episode of The Clinic Podcast. My name is Jasmine and I'm a second year resident at the UT Health San Antonio Family Medicine Residency Program. The purpose of this podcast is to help simplify the complicated decisions we make in the clinic. Today, we'll be discussing obesity in adults. The sources I will primarily be referencing are from the American Academy of Family Physicians and the Obesity Medicine Association. So our society is no stranger to the term or the severity of obesity. It has been estimated that over one third of US adults are obese and over two thirds are overweight. The prevalence has increased twofold in the past 30 years. Therefore, it is imperative that we as clinicians know how to screen, diagnose, treat, and most importantly, prevent this widespread disease in our society. So let's first define obesity. The Obesity Medicine Association defines obesity as a chronic, progressive, relapsing, multifactorial, neurobehavioral disease wherein an increase in body fat promotes adipose tissue dysfunction and abnormal fat mass physical forces, resulting in adverse metabolic, biomechanical, and psychosocial health consequences. So <laughs> that was a fairly comprehensive view of obesity and something to keep in mind throughout this talk. For the sake of simply identifying obesity in the clinic, recognize that adults with a BMI of 25 to 30 are considered overweight and those with a BMI over 30 are categorized as obese. Obesity can further be defined through the following classifications. Class one obesity comprises those with a BMI of 30.0 to 34.9. Class two obesity comprises those with a BMI of 35.0 to 39.9. And class three obesity comprises those with a BMI of 40 and above. Other diagnostic metrics of obesity include percent body fat and waist circumference. In women, percent body fat greater than or equal to 32% and waist circumference greater than or equal to 35 inches constitute obesity. Similarly, in men, percent body fat greater than or equal to 25% and waist circumference greater than or equal to 40 inches constitute obesity. So with those definitions in mind, what other information might be important to ascertain during that initial clinical visit where you're addressing obesity? In gathering the medical history, it is important to learn what other medical conditions the patient might have, such as type 2 diabetes or hypertension. Similarly, asking the patient about their stress, sleep patterns, medications, alcohol intake, cigarette smoking, and physical activity can all give a clear picture of that patient's full medical history. And as in every initial encounter or new patient visit, gathering information about the family history is equally important. More specifically for a visit focused on obesity management, gathering an understanding of the patient's weight pattern over their lifetime can be helpful. Similarly, gaining an understanding of the social support systems in place can be uniquely enlightening. For example, learning who selects and purchases the patient's food and what educational access to healthy food options or physical activity options they have can give insight to the patient's barriers or supports for weight management. In these first few visits, it would be advantageous to follow up on the patient's preventive medical care as well. 
This means keeping up with the recommended cancer screenings and immunizations, which as family physicians, we can certainly ensure. Lastly, in the data gathering stage, we can consider a variety of labs, including hemoglobin A1C, a fasting lipid panel, comprehensive metabolic panel to assess for electrolytes, kidney functioning, and liver enzymes, and also obtaining a TSH to assess for thyroid functioning. Additionally, an EKG and sleep study can be useful to assess underlying cardiac abnormalities or obstructive sleep apnea. So now that we have all of this information, how do we approach treatment during the clinical visits? So a bird's eye view can be offered to approach management of overweight and obesity by considering the following categories. Nutrition, physical activity, behavior therapy, pharmacotherapy, and bariatric surgery. Using the BMI categorization that I mentioned above, current guidelines recommend starting with lifestyle modification in diet, physical activity, and behavior modification for those with a BMI greater than or equal to 25. So let's first consider nutrition. Now there are a variety of popular diets out there that would take an entire separate episode to discuss in detail. These include the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, which stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, the Ketogenic diet, and the Paleo diet, just to name a few. But for the purposes of addressing weight loss and management in a clinical setting, it has been concluded across the board that reducing the total amount of daily calories is the most essential component. Anytime caloric intake is less than caloric expenditure, weight loss occurs. Moreover, encouraging more nutrient-dense foods such as vegetables and whole grains rather than solely focusing on restrictions can help the patients with adherence. Next, let's consider physical activity. While it is true that a low calorie diet can yield more weight loss than exercise alone, over time, combining a low calorie diet with exercise can lead to greater weight loss than dieting alone. So basically, why not just encourage both for our patients? It's only going to help them in the long term. Furthermore, exercise also leads to a reduction in cardiovascular mortality risk by improving factors such as blood pressure and cholesterol. So now that I've convinced you that recommending exercise to our patients is a key strategy in approaching weight loss, how can they practically approach this lifestyle modification? The recommendations state to exercise for at least 30 minutes a day for a total of 150 minutes of physical activity a week. I should assert here that 30 minutes is important because in the first 20 minutes of exercise, glycogen stores are used up. So going beyond that time would allow the body to begin to use the fat stores as fuel. So exercises can include walking, jogging, swimming, weight training, and even ball games. What's most important is to discuss what works best for your patient to keep them motivated. Finally, speaking of motivation, the technique of motivational interviewing has been found to augment weight loss, getting to the root of the patient's motive for change. Now in our clinic, our behavioral health consultants can assist in these type of skills and they can employ many more skills within their expertise that can allow the patients to stay on track with their weight loss journey. 
So we've discussed the multifaceted approach to weight loss and lifestyle modification. Let's now quickly review the remaining ways in which clinicians can treat obesity. So consider these two groups to be in the same category in terms of treatment. Those with a BMI greater than or equal to 27 who have comorbidities, and those with a BMI greater than or equal to 30 who do not have comorbidities. For this particular group, pharmacotherapy can be initiated in addition to the lifestyle modifications we discussed before. So these pharmacologic approaches include medications such as phentermine, Orlistat, or liraglutide to name a few. Similarly, metformin used for the treatment of diabetes and topiramate used for the treatment of migraines have been found to decrease weight. Therefore, in approaching treatment, consider whether a medication can provide a dual benefit for the patient. Conversely, also keep in mind which medications the patient is already taking that might be contributing to the increased body weight. These medications include mood stabilizers such as lithium, some beta blockers such as propanolol or metoprolol, and antipsychotics such as olanzapine. Now for the next category of patients. For those with a BMI greater than or equal to 40 without comorbidities, and for those with a BMI greater than or equal to 35 who do have comorbidities, they're considered one category. For them, bariatric surgery can be considered. However, many surgeons require that the patients first attempt significant weight loss with the approaches previously discussed first. In our Family Health Center, we have the Mindful Choices Clinic available to assist in weight loss for overweight and obese patients. A team of physicians, behavioral health consultants, and our dietitian work together to provide a comprehensive approach to weight loss management. It is an amazing resource that I encourage everyone to remember to take advantage of. So that's all I have for today. I hope this episode has been useful in knowing how to efficiently approach obesity in the clinical setting. If anyone has any comments, questions, or feedback, please do not hesitate to contact me at my email. My email address is aldrichj at uteska.edu. Spelled out, that's A-L-D-R-I-D-G-E-J at U-T-H scsa.edu. Thanks for tuning in today and we'll catch you next time.